John 6. We'll take the first 14 verses here in what really is a wonderful Christmas passage as well because it provides a backdrop for the wonderful miracle that's been done in each of our lives uh, as Jesus came into this world. And what we have here uh, in this first story that uh, is the only one, this first miracle, the only one that's recorded in all four Gospels. It is the feeding here of the 5,000 that is recorded by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So important is this miracle that I think the Lord reminded each of them uh, by the Holy Spirit to make sure and jot this one down. Because it provides for us an ability to, to look at our own lives and ask yourself some simple questions. Do you see those things in your life which appear to, be, appear to be an impossibility? Do you see those things through your own eyes, your own abilities, your own strengths, your own resources? Or do you see them from God's perspective and his resources? Because most of the time, we as human beings, and it's a natural reflection of just our, our humanness, we see things through our own eyes. And yet God so very often allows things into our lives which are beyond our control. They're beyond our human ability to take care of them. They are, in fact, an impossibility through our own human abilities. And so we find one of those things here, this beautiful story uh, of some barley loaves and a couple of fish and a whole bunch of people and a story that I've entitled Miracles for the Multitude. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this incredible miracle that was done 2,000 years ago in front of a massive crowd, Lord, that spoke so deeply and so richly of your love, your care, your concern, your ability, your great depth of treasure that's greater than all of our needs. And so, Lord, we pray that as we read your word that you'd speak to us through it. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Verse 1 here in John 6. And after these things, it begins here in chapter 6, after these things would be the events that we just read about in Jerusalem. So Jesus was in Jerusalem. He is now going to go from that setting, which was in the temple. He's going to travel the 65 miles north and slightly east, back to his hometown, uh, his home base of operations, if you will, of Capernaum, which is on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. He's going to make that journey. So after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee. So we know by this account that he did not take the route that would have taken him over through Samaria and up through Nazareth and down through Cana of Galilee. He went down the Jericho Road, down to Jericho along the Jordan River, and he's now come uh, to the south end of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is actually the world's uh, lowest freshwater lake. It provides about a third of the fresh water still to this day for the nation of Israel. Uh, it also six, sits at 686 feet below sea, <coughs> excuse me, sea level. And so Jesus is going to get on a boat. He's going to travel across the lake. Rather than walk around it on the Via Maris, uh, he's simply going to get in a boat and he's going to meet the gang at the other end of the lake. And it says there, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. So Jesus was at the, the pool of Bethesda. 
He heals this man. This man picks up his bed. He walks and goes into the temple. And so part of that crowd is following him. Part of the crowd that witnessed the miracle at the wedding in Cana of Galilee is going to also be there. And and so people are starting to get word that Jesus is doing these miraculous signs and wonders in front of large crowds of people. Now bear in mind at that time, there were no movie theaters, there was no internet, uh, people weren't going to go to some sporting event, they weren't going to watch a football game or a baseball game or a soccer match, there was no NBA at that time. And so when things like this happened, they had a tendency to draw a very large crowd. Life was fairly monotonous and fairly mundane, largely agricultural. Uh, here in this particular region, they were largely fishermen, fisherwomen. Uh, they, they were very subsistence in, in their existence. And so uh, this was something that was worth watching. And so a multitude uh, has now followed him because of what they saw and what they understood Jesus was going to do. And Jesus then went up on the mountain where he sat with his disciples. And this same mountain is going to be the setting for the Beatitudes. The same mountain, this little uh, valley that's right below it, is going to be the setting for that great message that Jesus delivers about the sower who went out to sow seed, those types of soil. This is going to be a very familiar place throughout the Gospels where Jesus often speaks to a crowd. There's a natural amphitheater on the side of a mountain on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's actually been some acoustical studies that have been done in this little canyon, uh, that you could actually, especially if you're down on the water and speaking up the hill, this one happens to be one Jesus speaking down the mountain, uh, but that little area that's next to this cove that's on the Sea of Galilee was a place where the natural speaking voice would carry a very long distance. And so Jesus is there, and he sits down with his disciples, and now the Passover A feast of the Jews was near, and so the people that were Jewish would have been traveling from the region uh, up here in Dan and Naphtali. Uh, So they're going to come from these northern tribes. It would be heading towards Jerusalem. So those coming from that region uh, would have come from Zebulun and Naphtali, and they would have been heading back south towards Jerusalem, the very place that Jesus had just come from. So there's an extra large crowd uh, in the region at that time. And then Jesus lifted up his eyes, seeing a great multitude coming towards him, and he said to Philip, and here comes the question. Here's the question for you. This is the question for Jeff. This is the question for each of us, because he's seeing a multitude coming towards him, and he's going to see a situation uh, that doesn't have a natural answer. There's nothing a human being would have been able to do about this particular situation. It's a God-sized problem, it's a God-sized condition, and it's going to take a God-sized solution. The question is, will you, will I, will we collectively, when we see things that are beyond our own human abilities to, to take care of them, will we turn in faith to the Lord, will we ask him to bless and break, or will we try and solve the situation with our own human ability, our own human means? This is a question of faith. We're going to be told that it's actually a test, especially for Philip. He sees that group and he says to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? And it's somewhat a trick question. 
But he's getting Philip to think with the eyes of faith. See with the eyes of faith. Understand from a faith perspective. But this he said to test him, verse 6 says, for he himself knew what he would do. Isn't it insane sometimes that we often think God needs some instruction or God needs some learning or you know God needs some piece of information from us so that he can see things correctly? I don't know whether you ever wake up and you wonder if God actually forgot where you were at or somehow misplaced your life or didn't see those things coming that have now come upon you to the point that you wonder, well, I don't know if God's got this under control. Anybody ever do that? I do. I think we all do if we're honest. I think every pastor will tell you that if you've walked with the Lord for any length of period of time and served in pastoral ministry, that there are times when we have lapses of faith. And we start to turn to all kinds of different things, building plans and budgets and bank accounts, instead of turning to the Lord, who was the source of all things that we have stewardship over to begin with. He knew himself what he would do, and Philip answered him, saying, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them would have a little. And so he sizes up the situation. He looks at the crowd. He looks at the amount of money necessary. He's looking with his flesh. He's not looking with faith. He's looking with flesh. Now, I want to be really careful here because Philip is doing what you and I would probably do. It's not a bad thing to look and see if you have enough money in your bank account before you write the check. Amen? That's a good thing to do. You should do that. It's called wisdom. It's called prudence. It's called good stewardship even. But it should not stop there if you believe that God has actually put you in that situation in the first place. Because that's not the end of the resources available to you. That's the end of your own personal resources, but it's not the end of God's resources. It's not the end of God's ability. It's not the last word as far as God is concerned. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves, two small fish, but what are they among so many? So he also sees a at least partial natural solution to it, but immediately declares, this is not going to work. And then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. And now there was much grass in this place, and so the men sat down, and the number was about 5,000. Now bear in mind, that's just 5,000 men. There would have been largely an equivalent number of women, maybe even a few more, and all of their children if they were traveling to Jerusalem for Passover. So this is a huge crowd likely exceeding more than 20,000 people. It's as if the Staples Center opened up its doors and said, here we are. It was a large crowd, a hungry crowd. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. And so when... 
They were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. And therefore they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. And then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. So obviously Jewish people with messianic implications are saying, look, this is, this is the long-awaited prophet is the words that are being spoken there. So how do you see those things that are beyond your abilities? Do you see them with fear? Or do you see them through the eyes of faith? Do you understand them with just the practical and the pragmatic? Or do you see them from the hands of the great king, the one who has everything, the one who always has a solution. We just simply may not see it right away. There are four basic solutions in this situation. And you can see them. They're actually quite easy to see. And of course, first the disciples, if you read Mark's gospel and the account of this miracle, their first response in Mark's gospel is, we'll just get rid of the problem. Send the people away. Very often we do the same thing today, don't we? We try and avoid the problem. We try and pretend the problem doesn't exist. Maybe we try and get away from the problem, thinking that the problem will cease to exist simply because we ignore it. The disciples in in Mark's gospel are saying, "Well, well, obviously what you need to do here, Jesus, is just tell the people to go away. Now they came with great need and they came to a great Savior who was able to meet that great need. But the disciples weren't exercising faith, they were exercising fear. The second solution comes from Philip. And of course there is a faith test question that he asked here. He's saying, Philip, how are you going to see this? And so Philip's basic response is, we need to do a fundraiser. We need to figure out how we're going to pay for all of this. I mean, obviously, Jesus, you you really don't know what you're saying here because you realize how long it's going to take for us to raise enough money to buy enough food to take care of these people, and we are in the middle of nowhere. People still turn to the same tactic today. And the problem with these types of things and the reason that we do not do these types of things here in this church, we're not going to have a 12-week giving campaign. We're simply going to invite the Lord to do what he wants to do with what is brought into his storehouse. It's because if you apply enough pressure and if you apply enough force, you can usually cause all kinds of things to come about. And then you do not know whether the Lord was even in them. It's not a wise thing to just simply try and make it happen. That wasn't the answer that the Lord was looking for. The third solution, I love this one, let's steal the kids' lunch. Like that was going to help. We'll just do a hostile takeover of the kids' lunch. And we'll see how far it goes, and everybody will realize there's not enough food, and they'll all go away then. 
you know, sometimes we just simply take what we have and we say, well, we'll just, you know, whatever. But we forget to ask God to do something with what we already have. Instead of committing what we have to the Lord, we simply say, well, when this runs out, I'm done. That's not the answer the Lord's looking for. It's good to use the things that we have for the Lord's purposes, but maybe he wants to do a miracle in your life. Maybe he wants to take what he's blessed you with, what he's given you stewardship over, and maybe he is looking to do exactly what he's going to do here, which is as you put them in his hands and he blesses it and he breaks it and multiplies it, maybe it's going to go a lot further than you thought it was going to go. You see, the Lord's solution here is that he blesses what is already there and he breaks it. He multiplies it. He does something supernatural with that which is natural. Lives of faith dare to ask God to take little and make much out of it. And he's still doing that. He didn't stop doing that in biblical times. Sometimes I think we limit the work that God does in this world because we simply try and respond to it much like this situation. And remember what this was during that day and time. Matter of fact, in the Middle East today, uh, amongst the Palestinian people, they, they have a saying that Israel gives us only barley loaves. The barley loaf then was a little tiny cake. It was like a biscuit. And these fish were the fish that you would catch in the Sea of Galilee with a, with a net. They were tiny. So here comes some kid, and he's got five biscuits and a couple of sardines. And it's like, here. It is hopeless. This crowd is gathered around, and they're waiting for Jesus to do a miracle. And people are going, well, we can, you know, we'll give them, uh, we can see how far this will go. No, the Lord literally wanted to do a miracle. There's this massive group of people gathered around on this hillside, which if you travel there still to this day, is absolutely gorgeous. That north shore of the Sea of Galilee is still relatively unpopulated. There's some hotels scattered along the hillside, a couple of spots, but for the most part, it looks today like it looked then. Matter of fact, there are tombs on that very hill which is on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. The Via Mara still travels there. The way of the sea. Jesus is wandering around and he, he takes his spot, the same spot, there's a church there today that has this exact view looking out onto the sea. Elevated place for him to teach from, several piles of rocks, and he would just gather in this verdant area of grass it's still grass today and Jesus would just plop himself down and begin to teach but what he was really doing was addressing an impossible situation and I think there's many of you that came in today who brought with you an impossible situation a situation that's too big for you a situation that you don't have an answer for. A situation that maybe is beyond your control. 
a situation that maybe some doctors have told you are hopeless, a situation that looks financially impossible, a situation of long-term damage to relationships that you today don't believe God is able to heal. This story's for you. This miracle is for you. Because what Jesus is really saying is this was an impossible situation, but an impossible situation in the hands of the master is just a gigantic opportunity for the Lord to do a miracle in your midst. Now when you look at this, in order to really fully understand it, the best way to do it for us today is to look at it in a modern context. Because most, mo- probably none of you, I happen to actually have one, I actually haven't have a Greek denarius, but denarii, the plural, if you had a single denarius, that was equivalent to what someone would earn for working a full day at what we would call minimum wage. And so if you had one of them, for us today, with our minimum wage here in California, such as it is, it's the equivalent of about 96 bucks plus all the taxes and benefits. But if you just leave it at 96 bucks for a day's wages, you have to remember that these folks also work 12 hours a day, not eight. So what is being proposed here by Philip is if we had 200 days worth of paychecks, in other words, about 20 grand, and we went out and bought bread, it wouldn't be enough to feed this crowd. Now, for you and I, if you go get kind of, you know, you don't get, you know, the really expensive bread. Maybe it's three bucks a loaf. You're talking 8,000 loaves of bread. That's a lot of bread, amen? It's a lot of money. It's a lot of bread. And basically, he's saying, look, 8,000 loaves of bread would not be enough to feed this mass of humanity. Now, bear in mind, there was no place to even buy that many loaves of bread. There was no place you could have gotten it. There was no Vons, no Costco. There was no place you could go. There was no bank to go get enough money out of it. And probably in the crowd, no one had sufficient resources. It was truly impossible. So this was a test of faith. Jesus wasn't trying to get them to, to turn to their flesh. This was a faith problem, not a food shortage. The Lord delights in giving us faith problems. Not like he sits back and is like, oh, I want to see how Jeff handles this. But it leaves the door open for him to work in our lives. You see, the normal things that we do every day, we can just do. But maybe you have a medical issue that you don't know how it's going to work out. Maybe you have a financial issue that you're not sure how the Lord's going to meet that provision. Perhaps there's something going on with your household, maybe a relationship with a, with a sibling or a spouse or some other loved one, someone in your family. And it's just broken and it seems irrevocably broken. It can't be reconciled according to you. Those are the types of things that the Lord delights in because we have to turn to him. There is no other way. 
you get an impossible solution offered up at first. And that impossible solution is actually kind of humorous when you think about it. Because barley loaves were kind of like, you know, college students today, ramen is the savior of all college students. You know, you can go to a dollar store, get that 10 for a buck thing. Man, that's a week's worth of food almost. If you eat eat 10 bucks worth of ramen in a week, you're going to die anyway. You won't need to graduate. But you know what I'm saying. It's like, you know, it'll keep you alive. And that's pretty much, that's what barley was. Barley loaf was kind of like taking the animal's food and making a biscuit out of it. So the impossible solution was we're in the middle of nowhere. We've got nothing. We have no money. There is no store. We got 20,000 people and we got a sack lunch. That was the solution. Well, we'll take his lunch and we'll see, see how far it goes. That was no solution. That was an embarrassment. But when you take what you do have, which in this case was nothing relative to the problem, and you put it into the hands of the Lord, and you pray over it, and you ask him to multiply it and bless it and make it go where it needs to go, he can do miracles with that. That's the beauty of this. You see, the faith solution, and that's what this really is, was to take what they did have, which was not enough. And hear this well. This was to take what they did have, which was not enough, and put that in the hands of the Lord. And it was not until it was put in the hands of the Lord... And it was blessed and broken. It was not until it was put into the hands of the Lord that it became sufficient and efficient. That it was enough and it accomplished what needed to be done. You see, that's the faith solution. All ministry is to be done that way. And ultimately... All we can do as the body of Christ is take what God's given us and give it out. But if we're not putting it in his hands, if we're not blessing it and asking him to multiply it, then all we've got is what we've got. That's one of the wonderful things about watching the Lord work. It's okay for you to know this. All these things that we've done, all the missionary endeavors that we have all over the world, which we are currently in 20 different countries around the world, supporting missionaries, facilities, people involved, mission support. We have more money in the bank today in this church than when I got here nearly three years ago. And the reason I'm telling you that is because all we've done is prayed over what we've been given and said, Lord, you do what you want with it. And so those missionaries in Sudan, those missionaries in Uganda, those missionaries in Liberia, those missionaries in Nigeria, those missionaries in Guatemala, those missionaries in Nicaragua, those missionaries in Peru, those missionaries in El Salvador, those missionaries in China, those missionaries in the Philippines, all of those people are all because we simply prayed over what we have. And said, Lord, you do whatever you want to do with it. It's yours. 
It's not ours. It doesn't belong to us. It's yours. We're going to ask you to bless it and multiply it. And you know what? He did. Amen? There's no big secret. You just do what God tells you to do. Put it in his hands and say, Lord, you do whatever you want with it. And here's why. You don't think that God knows that we have needs here too? Crazy. He took care of all those too. Every single thing. And the reason I tell you that is that's the way we need to live our lives, all of us, even as individuals. Not just here in God's house, but in your house. You need to take what you have and bless it and let him break it and multiply it. But if you don't ever get tested in faith, you won't have the opportunity to do that. So God's going to put things in your life that are going to make you turn to him and say, Lord, unless you do something, this ain't working. That's the faith solution. And family, it's the only solution. The only solution to an impossible situation is to put it in his hands. Jesus didn't look at this little, this young boy's lunch, this lad's lunch, this child's lunch, this lunch that was with him, by the way, because it was sufficient only for him. He didn't bring a bunch for his family. This was his lunch. That's why we know it was some biscuits, probably no bigger than your fist at the very most, may have been smaller than that, and some very tiny fish. Jesus didn't look at it and go, what are you thinking, Andrew? Jesus didn't look at the crowd and go, send them away. Jesus did not look at the need. He looked at his own ability as God to take care of anything and everything, any day, any time, any place. He's not hindered by multitudes. He's not hindered by scarcity. He is not made ineffective because it looks like it's too big. He's able. And we need to go to him with what we have and put it in his hands. You see, this is really a story of our great grace. He's always been using seemingly little things to do much. Amen? Amen. Crazy. He, he, he used the tears of a baby to, to spare Moses. He used a shepherd's staff to deliver the children of Israel. He used a little hunk of leather with some thongs on the end of it to slay the giant Goliath and some rocks plucked out of a brook. He used a little shepherd boy. He used a tiny little girl to bring the mighty Naaman, this this incredibly powerful guy, to bring Naaman to his knees to free Elijah. Then he uses a widow to take care of that same prophet after he has this incredible victory 
and he's up on Mount Carmel, and here he defeats the prophets of Baal, and now he's down hiding from Jezebel, and he brings a little widow along with some grain to deliver the great Elijah. Jesus even went so far as to take a child and put him in the midst of the disciples. He goes, hey guys, unless you become like one of these, you'll not see the kingdom of heaven. The simplicity of a child. You see, that's the life that we live as God's kids. Lives of faith. And I pray for each of us that we'll take these things that that sometimes come to our life. You can call it great scarcity. Maybe it's a medical issue. Maybe it's a financial thing. Maybe it's an emotional thing. Maybe it's a relational thing. It's something in your life which is a need. It's a lack. It's It's a hurt. It's a desire. There's something in your life that is so far beyond your natural abilities to deal with it. Maybe you should ask God if that isn't there so you can learn to trust him. But there's some things you need to do. You need to place that in his hands. You need to take what you do have and say, Lord, I don't have a solution, but this is what I have. And I'm going to put it into your hands, and I want you to take care of this, because I can't do it. You see, one of the quickest ways to get up is to give up. One of the quickest ways to get over something is to allow Jesus to have it. Say, Lord, I, I don't know how to handle this problem. I don't have enough resources. Mentally, I can't handle this. Emotionally, I can't handle this. Financially, I can't handle this. Spiritually, I can't handle this. Provisionally, I, my house isn't big enough for these kids, Lord. You've got to put it in his hands. And the result, everyone was fed to fullness. Great scarcity placed in the hands of a great Savior leads to great satisfaction. Great scarcity placed in the hands of the great Savior leads to great satisfaction. You see, because he can take care of it. He can handle it. It's not too big for him. It's not impossible. It's impossible for you. It's impossible for me. But it's not impossible for him. He just asks you to take what you have and say, Lord, here it is. Place it in his hands. As he breaks it, multiplies it, and does stuff with it, we'll never know this side of glory, how he gets these things done. I've had so many opportunities in my life to live out this particular miracle, and granted, not on this scale. But I've watched God do things that I, admittedly, so I look at them with the eyes of flesh, they're impossible. Absolutely impossible. I've watched him heal relationships that I thought were so far broken there was no way in the world that those two people would ever stay married. And yet, he healed that marriage and made it better than it ever was. I've watched him take people whose lives are so broken with drugs and alcohol 
uh, you're thinking, man, if they don't end up dead next week, that in itself will be a miracle. Not only not dead, they're, they're amazingly well. I know a guy that currently today is a multi-billionaire with a B who was living in his car, went to college, got a degree, got hooked on drugs. And the Lord touched him. Travels all over the world, building hospitals. God can do it. But you've got to put what you have in his hands. Bless it and break it and then get ready for God to do a miracle. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. And I believe that here in the Lord's house today, there's a whole bunch of people that for lots of various reasons need God to do something supernatural in their lives. And I, I want to ask you, if you're here today and maybe you need a miracle in a relationship or maybe you need a miracle new job or maybe you need a miracle of saving your home or maybe you need a miracle of bringing your kids back to Jesus or maybe you need a miracle in your own life because you're far from the Lord or maybe you need that most important miracle which is a relationship with Jesus Christ if you're here today and you need some kind of a miracle I'm going to just ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads and you need some kind of miracle in your life I want you to just raise your hand right where you're at and I want to pray for you just put your hand up we're going to pray together there are, there are literally hundreds of hands up all over the sanctuary and now here's the amazing thing. God knows exactly why your hand is in the air right now. And you are saying to him, Lord, I'm putting this in your hands and we're going to bless it and we're going to ask you to break it. You do what you have to do. And so as we pray, you've got to believe by faith because it is faith that moves mountains. It's faith that the Lord wants you to grow in. And so let's pray together. Father, these hands that are up all over the sanctuary, Lord, probably 50% of the hands are up in this room. And Lord Jesus, we want to ask for those that need a spiritual healing right now, a touch from you because they're far from you. God, would you heal them? Would you pour out your spirit upon their lives, Lord, those, those directional changes they need to make because they've been going the wrong way. Would you help them to go the right way? Father, I pray for those that are hurting right now financially. Uh, their, their lives are a financial wreck. They don't know how they're going to make the bills this month, maybe even today. Lord, they don't even know how they're going to put gas in their car. They got here on fumes. But God, you are the God of abundance. And we're asking by faith right now that you'd meet every need that's in this room. Lord, those that need new jobs or better jobs, Lord, would you please from heaven deliver them into into a new abundance, Lord, through that work that you're going to do through giving them a productive job. Lord, I pray for those that have broken relationships. Lord, we want to put those relationships in your hand. Lord, maybe it's a husband or a wife. Maybe it's a son or a daughter or a mom, a dad, 
Lord, a grandma or a grandpa, maybe it's a whole family that's just completely broken, Lord. We're asking you, we're putting that family in your hands and we're saying, God, please heal our relationships. Lord, for those that are here that are desperately ill, God, you know that there may be some here that that this might be the last week that they're going to walk this earth. But we're asking you to heal them and touch them. Do a miracle, Lord, by touching their bodies in a physical way. Or those that maybe have cancer. Father, you're, you're the one that can defeat that, that horrible disease. God, please, in Jesus' name, we put it in your hands. And Lord, for those things which are unspoken, maybe only you and that person knows. Uh, that struggle of the flesh, that besetting sin. God, we're putting that in your hands as well. And bring resources to bear, God, to deliver and heal. We thank you, Lord. We believe what we have prayed by faith. We're not supposed to ask without faith because it is faith that brings the answer. And so, Lord, we are placing in your hands all these things. We're asking you to bless and we're asking you to break. And would you distribute to each as you see fit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.